0: It's finally 2021, and to celebrate, we're offering a New Year special. Annual memberships are now available at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. By joining us as an annual member, you will save 16%, which is like getting two months for free. We're also offering Tier 2 access to Tier 1 annual members. Help support this podcast, keep it ad-free, and help us fund 2021 updates, improvements, and new projects by becoming an annual member at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Follow Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Fellas, what is going on? How is your weekend?
0: I'm doing, doing okay. Trying to stay warm. I uh, I know we've got a lot of people out there being Im- impacted by some severe weather. It's been really strange. I live in New Hampshire and we haven't had nearly as much snow here as, uh, it seems like a lot of people are getting right yeah, now. In Texas. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but we have had some freezing rain today and I know that's uh, impacting a lot of people across the country as well. So just uh, trying to, to stay warm, but nothing too exciting getting, uh, getting some stuff done on our 2021 FBS team profiles that we'll be able to release to our patrons in about six weeks. So that's, that's taken up most of my, my time and energy at the moment.
1: Now Xavier, did you see the meme someone made out of the, like the weather map of the United States? It said, this is what a hot pocket is like when you pull it out of the microwave and it was warm on the sides, but cold straight down the middle. And I was like, this is perfect. Uh, that's really Absolutely. Perfect. So, I thought that was kind of funny, but with, there was some football uh, this weekend. I totally forgot about it. Uh, I, I missed it and did not watch it. But did you get to see any of it, Xavier?
2: I also did not watch it. Um, I currently <laughs> am. It was just upset this weekend that the NBA decided to have an All Star game in the middle of a pandemic in the state in which I live in. But you know, hey, hey, that you know. We're not possibly endangering, possibly, you know, half the league in this situation. No, no, it's
1: okay. At least we got to see Barkley do the silhouette challenge. So Uh, that's what's important. So, is it, you (laughs) know, no, absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) no, that was all sarcasm, of course. But yeah, it was, uh, it it was a a weird weekend of, you know, just no, you know, it's the the post Super Bowl weekend of, you know, uh, I I mean, I I guess people had stuff to do that have significant others. I don't. So, I got a Nick's the only one. Yeah, yeah. C- c- uh, hope you had a good Valentine's Day. And, night. I'm a, yeah.
0: and I'm an old married man. We didn't do anything. Just, <laughs> hey, <I'll> just <laughs> it. <It's> Valentine's Day. <laughs> I mean,
2: happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> but I will tell yeah. you one good thing that came from it. All the chocolate that's that's 60% off the next day. Yes.
1: Oh, bargain shoppers on here, Trish. That's Mm. right. Uh, He's got a college football podcast, an NBA podcast, and a coupon cutters podcast. Everybody (laughs) knows that. So I just can't can't wait for that one to fire up. But uh, on the show today, we're going to be talking about offensive linemen, transfers, and guys leaving to the NFL and how that is going to impact the 2021 season. But to start here, fellas, uh, Gus Malzahn is the new head coach at uh, UCF. Uh, got a 5 year deal despite no other team wanting him during the actual hiring process until uh you know uh, we got an opening at UCF so um I was a little surprised by that but then Nick you reminded me like come on they got to give him at least 4 years like uh you know the the kids coming in got to know he's got going to be there for a while i'm sure there's terms of um you know uh easy buyouts and stuff like that. I go going in for a guy like this who just got released from Auburn and then, you know, over to UCF, but no one else was really looking at him during the process that I remember. I don't remember him being involved in any rumors. I figured he's, we were going to see him on, you know, uh, CBS sports or something next year, but, uh, he goes back to work, uh, really fired up during his press conference, Nick. So, uh, what are your thoughts on UCF hiring Gus Malzahn?
0: Yeah, I I remember we talked about him just very briefly when the Tennessee job opened up. And he seemed like a a pretty good candidate there. It was, of course, a a little bit tricky because they had just hired uh, Kevin Steele, who had been the defensive coordinator at Auburn. And there seemed to be a little bit of uh, some politics behind the scenes as to Steele's involvement with potentially uh, kind of – working maybe to, to edge out uh, Malzahn and, and uh, make a name, you know, make a, uh, uh, give him a chance maybe to, to get that job. But um, it, it, that was really the only major, you know, opening really that we saw uh, that, that his name came up. I I did see, you know, very briefly before uh, either of them were fired. I mean, there were, there were some uh, thoughts of, Oh, could Malzahn go to Texas and replace Tom Herman, let's let's not forget. I mean, even though he was fired at Auburn, Malzahn is, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in college football, and and our numbers indicate that he ranks twelfth in our uh, head coach ratings. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, he he uh, as an offensive coordinator led you know helped that twenty ten Auburn team to the national championship. He his first year at Auburn took over. Uh, a, a team that had just come off one of its most disappointing seasons in a long, long time, and and took him to the BCS national championship right away. He's been the only head coach in the SEC, you know, pretty much uh, over the last however many years to beat uh, Nick Saban. You know, more than once. He's he's got multiple wins against uh, Alabama and and Saban, uh, and you know, he's he's he, he certainly there was something happened to where Auburn decided to, to move on. And, and uh, I didn't necessarily agree with it. I don't always uh, uh, agree with those type of moves. And, and there are certainly cases when I'm wrong and it, it does make sense to move on from somebody who I think is a, a successful and, and good coach. Sometimes you just need uh, somebody new in there, some, uh, some new blood, a change in the leadership voice of a program. So maybe this is one of those situations, but, you know, I, I think Malzahn probably shouldn't have been fired, uh, and, you know, just based on football reasons. And I'm guessing based on the way he uh, was introduced to the world as the new head coach at UCF, that he doesn't think that he uh, should have been fired. He, he was very fired up, uh, very, uh, you know, pointed in, in some of his comments. Uh, he talked about how UCF will recruit Florida like its hair is on fire uh, and and I think that that, you know, Malzahn, a lot of his roster was built, uh, as a lot of his Auburn rosters uh, were built through Florida, through uh, South and Central Florida. So he's got a lot of connections there. I think he's going to be able to uh, recruit really, really well uh, at UCF in Florida. Uh, I think he's very, very motivated. I mean, he... I don't necessarily agree. He said that UCF would be in the playoff in a very short time. Okay. You know, some things (laughs) along those lines. Uh, (laughs) I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do, I think, agree with him. He said that this was a top 20 job in college football. And and we talked about it a little bit last week, right after the uh, new athletic director was hired that, you know, it's one of those premier uh, G5 programs. And if we were to, you know, create a list of, uh, three or five G five teams that could, if everything sort of worked out perfectly, be able to sneak into a, a playoff one day. Uh, UCF might be the one, so uh, I don't I don't see it as uh, anything likely or potentially happening anytime soon necessarily. But you know, it, it's possible, and, and uh, I think that the Malzahn seems like a, a really really good hire to me. We've talked also in recent weeks that, you know, home run hires uh, on day one haven't necessarily tend to, to work out. So there's certainly plenty of scenarios where it, it doesn't, but I think Malzahn is, is you know, appropriately rated as, as the 12th best head coach in college football, uh, according to our numbers. And that's based on his team performance history uh, as a head coach, you know, weighted to where most recent seasons count the most. I think that's legitimate. I think he's a top fifteen, top twenty head coach in in college football. So I think for UCF to be able to uh, land him is is you know great for them. I think he probably was you know not in a major hurry. Probably could have sat out a season and and done a TV job or, or something like that. I think that's kind of picked uh, his spot. And UCF more, was a good spot.
1: So that's more surprising. I I feel like because I think. You know, it's not just that no one wanted him. I feel like it was, you know, you know, I'm sure someone had approached him about a job and he had probably turned it down. So uh, that's what I had assumed. It just didn't seem like the big schools were going after him. Obviously, like Nick had mentioned, a couple of rumors around. Now, I do want to do this as an exercise before um, we get Xavier's comments. But Xavier, you can start with this. Where were you? during kick six because like I remember exactly where I was Uh, and and it was for me it was weird I had just gotten off work and I had a sling box for my for my phone and I was driving to go get myself some dinner after work and I had it I mean this is crazy illegal but I had the game on my dashboard from my sling box watching it uh, as I was driving down, you know, a major road in, in Scottsdale. So uh, very illegal. But I remember watching it and like watching the road. I'm like, is he really going to take this all the way back and freaking out? Uh, so I like I remember what I was doing uh, when that happened. Do you remember where you were and, and, uh, and reacting to that?
2: Yeah, uh, I was actually I was in the basement. I was with my dad and we're watching the Iron Bowl as usual. as customary. And actually, I think my dad had gone to sleep. I think Dad was like, "I'm done." Uh, he was like, alabama has got this one all wrapped up." Uh, I'm not gonna watch this game. He's an LSU fan, so he doesn't really care about either team as as it is. But you know, me being a junkie, I sit there and watch it all the way through. And I woke him up, like yeah. screaming. I was like, "Dad, did what? Dad, Dad!" And he, he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "He took it back." Well, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, let me let me explain to you. So I had to, like sit him down, and explain what had happened, the entire situation, and the best part about this was I had a really good friend at the time uh, who ended up playing at Auburn. His name was Nick Ruffin. Uh, he got recruited by Auburn and played there for a couple of years. And I remember him coming to school the next day and everybody had given him crap for committing to Auburn because he was a four-star uh-huh. kid. He could have gone anywhere. And those tweets, if somebody resurfaced him, he'd probably get in trouble for him. He would win <laughs> on, on every student that could have possibly been in the a hundred mile radius that was like oh so now you think it's stupid for me to go to Auburn huh yeah yeah get out my get out my DMS it was hilarious it was so fun uh, yeah it, it it was it was a blast
1: Nick do you remember where you were during kick six
2: uh, nothing exciting nothing exciting I was living
0: in Helena Montana at the time and was working in uh, minor league baseball so my mind was not as college football focused as it is right now, but I was just sitting back and, and watching the game and joining it as a fan on my couch in Montana and just kind of uh, – I, I didn't have a, a crazy reaction. It was more just a, a jaw drop, just like I can't believe that just happened. And, you know, what, two weeks prior to that, uh-huh. uh, Auburn had the, the last second win over Georgia. Oh. Uh, and, and so it was just – it was the, uh, you know, man, I can't believe this team – did this sort of thing, you know, twice in three weeks or, or whatever it was. So uh, very, very remarkable season just in general. But, yeah, that was Gus Malzahn's, what that was his first year, right? That was when they uh, came back, went to the, the BCS National Championship. So uh, absolutely remarkable uh, game, but, but uh, you know, big, big uh, piece of his legacy as well.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those moments where, you know, most of the time you remember where you were. And I definitely remember driving down Shea and and, uh, seeing seeing that happen in my car and going, man, if there was a cop behind me, I would get a super huge ticket right now. So, uh, but um, yeah, well, I wasn't holding it. It was in my dashboard. So I had like the little clip and everything. Uh, So I wasn't, you know, doing one of the look down, look up, look down, look up. I was like, you know, driving with the steering wheel. I can look through the windshield and then kind of eye back you know uh I definitely didn't do that for every Texas game that year so that's good but um anyway uh Z- Xavier your thoughts on Gus Malzahn going to UCF now
2: I think you I think I have the same feeling you you had Scott it first was like hmm were not you in a position to kind of take a chill pill for a year you know you know take a break go off Maybe go on television. Maybe just take a break. But at the same time, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself: I was like, if Gus Malzahn had actually taken a break, what kind of job offers would he have actually gotten going into next year? That would have been better than UCF. I'm not sure if there would have been any of them that would have been better than UCF. Maybe possibly, you know, if things you know go haywire at a couple of universities, maybe. But I think this is a perfect fit for him. I think this is an opportunity for him to 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 implement that offense that didn't work in the SEC uh, for you know the last couple of years. And I, and I, and I saw a tweet. I don't know if I wish one of the journalists journalists down there had the balls to say this, but somebody was like, I wonder if any journalists are going to ask him, how does he feel about UCF beating him in the bowl game and being the national championship, being the national championship two years, uh, two years ago. I was like, please, somebody ask us about that game. I just want him. I just want, I just want somebody to be like, what does Blake Bortles mean to you? by the way you know what 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 is, what does is, what does that mean what does that game mean to you now that you're at ucf uh but i think it's a perfect fit for him i think it's an opportunity for him to really you know rebrand himself and have an explosive offense down there go bonkers in a conference that he absolutely can and he'll be in a top 5 in a p5 top uh tier uh job once again because he's going to really rebrand himself while he's down there which he was already as an offensive guru
1: yeah and the playoff thing isn't out of the question total. But Stop. Oh, hold Stop. on. Hold on. <laughs> wait, Can wait. I finish? <laughs> Can I finish? All right. If the playoffs are expanded. If oh, it went oh, to man. eight teams, uh, I, I think that during his course at UCF, UCF could make the playoffs if it's it, it's expanded. Four teams, I don't I don't see UCF ever making So uh, th- that that's what I was gonna say. That's why I said let me finish, Xavier. <laughs> Let me finish because I do agree with you as it stands right now. But if we do get playoffs expanded, maybe that could happen. A couple of other uh, coaching moves here. Uh, Tennessee has hired former Penn State safeties coach and co-DC Tim Banks as their new defensive coordinator. Maryland has tapped uh, former Baylor cornerbacks coach Brian Stewart as its new defensive coordinator. Um, And then another one, Pitt hired wide receiver uh, coach and co-OC Brennan Marion as its wide receiver coach and he has a pretty good track record. Uh, New Mexico State, the only FBS program scheduled to play this fall, is set to take on FCS Tarleton State Saturday in El Paso. So um, exactly what you expect, a uh, FBS team playing uh, not at their home stadium in the middle of February. So uh, (laughs) still lots going on, still lots in the news here, Nick. So your thoughts on uh, these moves here?
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting some of these uh, stragglers as far as uh, defensive coordinator jobs filled because that's one of the, uh, you know, we, we can't really completely finalize our, our preseason uh, projections and, and power ratings until we know who those offensive and defensive coordinators are going to be because those, uh, not, a, not a huge, you know, part of our uh, model percentage-wise, but you know the, they do have a little bit of an impact. So, uh, like to see those jobs get filled, and, and once we have them all uh, together, we'll be able to to get all of our OC and DC ratings uh, finalized. The the Britton Marion uh, note is, I think, particularly interesting. He's he's kind of like your favorite coach's favorite coach, and he's he's not a huge name to the a uh, common fan necessarily, but was uh, an excellent player himself. He actually played uh, in a Gus Malzahn offense when he was at Tulsa. Uh, the, the two years that Malzahn was at Tulsa was, was one of the first real offenses that I just completely fell in love with. I became kind of a Malzahn guy during that period, and, and Brennan Marion uh, set an NCAA record that still stands, 31.9 yards per catch. In 2007, uh, was a uh, just an excellent college football player. Unfortunately, had a, a lot of injuries that sort of derailed a, a pro career, but went into coaching. Uh, he was a high school coach. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Howard when they upset UNLV a few years ago. And during that time, kind of implemented uh, what's uh, what he coined the go-go offense. And we've seen some... Of that sort of spread a, a little bit. One, he you know was also the offensive coordinator at William and Mary, and then uh, went on to Hawaii. Had a role there uh, the, this past year, but he's a he's a you know kind of a, a wonderkind uh, future offensive coordinator at a big level, possibly uh, hopefully future head coach, and just does some really creative things offensively. And and so he's he's bounced around a little bit as he sort of climbed. Uh, the coaching ladder, but when this move was announced, I mean, a lot of uh, coaches were were very interested in this. A lot of college football media, because there've been you know some some uh, profiles of Marion recently, and and I definitely uh, w- would suggest reading up on a really interesting guy, background, and and uh, kind of a, a rising star in the coaching profession. So, you know, we'll see what sort of impact he has uh, at Pitt. I, I think he uh, does seem to, to really uh, have some momentum as a recruiter and, and has some ties to that area. So that'll probably help Pitt who uh, kind of, kind of underrated. It really is recruited pretty well in, in recent years, but Mark Whipple is the offensive coordinator there a uh, little bit on the, you know, older side, perhaps this is uh, maybe a, a, you know, offensive coordinator and waiting situation there at Pitt maybe uh, if not expect him to, to uh, get an offense you know to get an opportunity to be an offensive coordinator uh, sooner rather than later so I, I definitely think he's somebody that uh, if our listeners out there aren't familiar with him read up a little bit on him because he's, he's somebody that's going to be impactful I think in college football uh, in the years to come for sure.
1: And CFF, I mean, we've had a lot of impact wide receivers come out of Hawaii recently, so uh, I'm excited to see if uh, we get the same thing out of Pitt. That should be a lot of fun. But Xavier, your thoughts on these coaching moves?
2: Yeah, I really love the Brian Stewart move. I'll be honest with you. I I think this is a guy who is a really good gift for Maryland. He has extensive amount of experience. I mean, he's 56 years old. He has coached everywhere. He's coached for your dad's favorite team and your favorite team more than likely. Uh, You know, he, he spent... Ten years coaching in the NFL for the Texans, Chargers, Cowboys, and Eagles. Uh, also as a Cowboys defensive coordinator for a year, he spent time at Houston, Maryland, Nebraska, Rice. He went back to the NFL and coached for the Detroit Lions. He's also been at Missouri and San Jose State. I mean, this is a guy who has the pedigree that if, when he walks in that defensive back room, he's going to have the you know the ear of every single defensive player. He's you know that that is there. Period. And I think that when you're able to have those kind of coaches around that, you know, instill this, I can get you to the league mentality, it does nothing but help you in the recruiting process. It does nothing but help the kids respect the coaching staff that you're putting together. We saw it uh, at Arizona State where, you know, Herm Edwards was putting all these previously previous NFL guys in and around his staff. All it did was bring in top recruits and get those kids ready, you know, and, and more amped up to play for coaches who they know have NFL experience, have coached NFL talent and know what they're talking about. So I really love uh, the Brian Stewart move for them.
1: All right. Let's talk about offensive line transfers here, Nick. And I'm going to, you know, look, I I know the offensive players uh, pretty decently because of CFF. Offensive line gets away from me. A little <laughs> bit. You know, I got to do a little bit of diving on some of these guys going into the draft. I mean, I know the big names, you know, Slater and Sewell and, uh, you know, Leatherwood and, and, and all, you know, uh, uh, all these guys, but, uh, down the line, it gets a little lost. I mean, I don't pay as much attention to offensive line transfers as I probably should. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you to talk about the offensive line transfers. Cause you're way more plugged in than I am, obviously.
0: Yeah the the biggest the g- biggest group of players on the field right so it's it's five players and they're also literally but the, the biggest less you on hear the about field. them
1: the better they are but they are
0: mm-hmm. invisible to so many so many mm-hmm. people Well we we care about all of them around the world. but uh, no <laughs> it, you know not the
1: punter show Nick so that, that's <laughs> gonna be my favorite one holder. Long <laughs> no, I, what? <laughs> oh, Xavier just said yes. Had- <laughs> that, that, that is where I
0: draw the line. Is like, I, he's, <laughs> he's writing his letter of resignation, right? Now. Uh, so we, I, I think, with this one, because I do understand one, the the average college football fan is not as uh, tuned into offensive linemen specifically as they are offensive skill position players, and and uh, the the names that we do know are guys who are, you know, right now it's, of course, NFL draft season, mock draft season. So you're seeing names in top 100 lists and, and you know, first round, uh, first two round mock drafts, all, all that good stuff. And so, you know, th- those guys and guys who've been All-Americans, you know, the the more common college football fan uh, know some of those names. We, I think, uh, you know, Uh, cater to more than just your average college football fan. So probably, uh, you know, a lot of guys on this list are going to be familiar to our listeners, but even then, you know, I I think we kind of need to flip uh, the way we talk about offensive linemen compared to how we talked about, you know, wide receivers last week, running backs the week before. We'll start with kind of the the NFL draft because that I think is going to be where we're seeing the biggest impact who's leaving who is not going to be around in 2021, uh, you know, is, is I think just most important. But then secondly, there aren't, you know, at this point it's, it's more difficult to point to who's going to be a major impact transfer on the offensive line. There were five guys as I was sort of building our list and I'll make this list of notable transfers available to our patrons uh, as I have in, in each of the previous shows. Uh, but there were kind of five guys that that jumped out to me as far as the transfers that, hey, maybe those are immediate starters at their new uh, team. And, and, you know, are, are maybe guys that we will see uh, talked about as, you know, future NFL draft guys, maybe all conference type players. The other guys are, are still relatively under the radar, Are going to you know fill some holes, but are, are probably not going to be uh, big, big names. So I, I think it makes sense to look down this list. Of okay, three Alabama players have left for the NFL draft. We know that officially: Alex Leatherwood, Deontay Brown, Landon Dickerson. Well, Joe Moore, Joe Moore, award-winning unit, national champions. All three of those guys were listed specifically in in Dane Brugler's top 100 draft board. So Alabama is going to be impacted at the offensive line. You know, on the offensive line. Yeah, they've recruited well enough to be able to to overcome that, but uh, you know. That they're dealing with a bigger losses than a lot of other programs. But, you know, Florida's got two guys that that are leaving. Georgia's got two guys. Kentucky's got two guys. Mississippi State has two guys, you know. Uh, Tennessee has seen uh, not only two players enter the NFL draft, Trey Smith and Brandon Kennedy, but they also lost a starting – Uh, a couple of starting offensive linemen to the transfer portal, one Morris and Jameer Johnson who landed at Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and Texas A&M respectively, Texas A&M's losing three guys to the NFL draft. So, you know, there, there are just some teams that are going to be more impacted. And and, uh, so as we're looking ahead to 2021, when returning experience, returning production is going to be higher across college football, uh, that that goes for the NFL draft as well. So will we see some of these teams who are losing three starters, you know, uh, who who could have potentially come back for another year of eligibility? Are are you know, we going to see maybe uh, uh, an Alabama struggle a little early in the season when that offensive line is is you know yet to really gel as a unit? It's just something I think to, for us to be aware of. It's it's probably not going to impact Alabama. It might impact Florida. It might impact Georgia. And my, you know, at this part, uh, this point in the offseason, thinking Georgia is a legitimate national championship uh, contender. It might impact Texas A&M, who came into the offseason with so much momentum, and people are thinking, hey, maybe they're, you know, the the team to challenge Alabama and the SEC West. But I mean, I'm looking at a team like Stanford, who I think really could uh, kind of slip and and fall, you know, into that. Bottom tier, maybe in the Pac-12, they're losing three really talented offensive linemen to the NFL draft. So uh, it's 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 you know not as top of mind for a lot of people, but I think it's important to you know look at at some of these units. Notre Dame losing four offensive linemen uh, entering the NFL draft. I mean, I was going through our 2020 FBS team profiles and, and just kind of we don't yet, as we've always you know said to this point, know exactly which seniors will leave campus for for all 130 teams but you can kind of uh you know gauge for the most part especially in uh, the g5 i would expect more will come back than not it's going to be incredibly rare for a team uh to have to replace four offensive linemen in 2021 so that's not insignificant even though notre dame has done a great job recruiting offensive linemen done a great job developing offensive linemen you know, they're they're gonna be in a, a pretty tough spot, at least compared to most teams in the country when you're looking at an experience. I think losing three starters is is gonna be a bigger deal in in 2021 than maybe it was in 2020 or prior. And so, you know, those are those are sort of the things going through my mind as I was building this list specifically on the NFL draft side.
1: Now, uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, some of these uh, big-time offensive linemen transfers, and it's funny because you look at the bottom performers uh, mm-hmm. uh, as far as offensive line goes, and most of those teams we've already talked about or are going to be talking about tomorrow, so uh, not a surprise. Like Nick said, the biggest unit on the field is also one of the most impactful
2: yeah, and when we look at some of these transfers, and I'll kind of hit on what Nick said as well. I'll probably, I'll go ahead and, and and start with the guys who are leaving. What I will say is, when you look at you know we we have. Big names. We had the Alex Leatherwood. We have the Penay Sewell who didn't play. We have the Walker Little who, uh, who acted out as well. But when you look at some of the when I, when I look at a lot of these offensive linemen who left, I look at a lot of the teams who can't recruit in the same ways of at Alabama or in Oklahoma. You know, when we're talking about uh, a Landon Young or a Drake Jackson at Kentucky, this was an offensive line that finished you know in the top ten in, in PFs, You know, at the end of the season for PF's top ten offensive linemen, uh offensive lines for the year. You know, these these are some these were transformative players for their universities and and those people leaving I think are going to be bigger losses than maybe a land of at Alabama you know maybe you know Ben Cleveland leaving Georgia is big but I don't think it's bigger than like a Rashawn Slater leaving Northwestern this is a guy who is going to go in the top 25 picks of this year's draft he's one of the two best tackles in this year's draft and they're going to miss that And yes they missed it in 2020 as well because he was an opt-out but still it's a huge loss for them going forward Christian Derisaw him leaving, it's going to be massive for Virginia Tech. This was an offensive lineup once again, just like Kentucky finishing the top ten in PF's rankings for best offensive lineman in this uh in this past year. So when we talk about teams like that who are going to be missing, you know, top ten, you know, first round talent going into next year, that's going to be massive for teams that do not recruit like that. Um, You know, Nick, I mean, I mean but Scott, you can tell me how do you think how big of a loss is Samuel Cosme going to be for Texas. You know, I, you know, I don't, you know, Texas is a good recruiter, but losing a guy like that, who's been, I believe a three-year starter is going to be massive for them uh, on that front, you know, with them also bringing in a brand new quarterback. That's just a massive loss to go along with it. So that's really what I was looking at when we talk about the guys who are going to the draft. As far as guys who are transferring in, I was really looking for a lot, of the offensive lines that were in the bottom of the barrel la- last year getting in some good talent this year. So, uh, this is a get Devin Cochran going from Vanderbilt to Georgia Tech. Not a big name, not a big splash, but he's going, you know, the three star kid is going to give a boost to an offensive line at Georgia Tech that finished 128th last year, uh, according to PFF. And so, it- it's not going to look good, you know, getting in a guy, you know, who. Is a was a redshirt senior is using it as a graduate transfer. I think is going to be really big for them going into next year for them to be better and even more so just for them to get more experience on what was a very young offensive line last year. So that's what I was looking at when I come to when we're talking about transfers as well.
1: Now uh, on the other side of you know the the players leaving and it impacting uh, those schools, obviously you know Ohio State and uh, Florida and Alabama being a couple of huge ones. How about on the other side? What, what, uh, like Xavier just mentioned, Georgia Tech improving, and once again, a team that performed bad last year, who we will be talking about tomorrow, you know, in this bottom third of schools. Uh, what schools do you think help themselves out the most by getting transfers in there?
0: yeah yeah and and i'm glad that uh Xavier brought up you know i, th- I think PFF is great but we also do have an offensive line this is performance true. rating from uh, cfB winning edge so uh georgia Tech finished 98th in, in our rankings but uh, <laughs> but it, no anyway it's it's uh it's uh it's a fair point and i, I think that georgia Tech is a very Interesting one, and and they are somebody that's been uh, top of mind. Actually, just this morning, I had the uh, UCF Georgia Tech uh, game from earlier this year on, sort of in the background as I was getting some other work done because I thought, hey, we're going to be talking about UCF and then Georgia Tech tomorrow a little bit, so wanted to, to think about it. And this is a little bit of a uh, tangent here, but man, uh, Jameer Gibbs, uh, Scott, I was trying to think like I, I haven't even considered any any early CFF. Uh, rankings for for this year, but I was trying to think off the top of my mind if there was a running back in the country I would rather have the, going into to twenty twenty one than Gibbs. I mean, he, that guy's incredible. So if you can get an offensive line together to you know elevate uh, their play on the field, then you know that, that Georgia Tech is going to be a dangerous team next year. And and Devin Cochran announced that he was transferring from from Vanderbilt. Uh, prior to last season but then ended up not playing this year so I'm not sure if that was uh, you know not eligible yet, which that doesn't really make sense to me. I thought he was you know already uh, entering a senior year would have really expected him to, to have yeah. uh, graduated so maybe he just opted out, didn't feel I, I'm not sure but it sounds like he'll be in the mix there. Uh, Georgia Tech also brought in a, a transfer uh, from Tennessee last year and, mm-hmm. and so they're uh, trying to to really one beef up that unit because under Paul Johnson, they were uh, recruiting smaller, quicker offensive linemen, and and Collins and his staff want uh, bigger, stronger linemen. So that, I think, has been uh, maybe one of the most important parts of this transition in in the Collins area, uh, uh, excuse me, the early Collins era the last few years. Uh, So I think they, understandably, are, are somebody that we can expect to be Uh, you know, hunting in the transfer portal, some of these names that maybe don't have attachments yet. We've seen, you know, some guys with starting experience at TCU, Nebraska, uh, among those that are, are in the transfer portal. FIU has a very experienced uh, a transfer. There's a, a Justice Oluwason, and, and I probably butchered that. I apologize. <laughs> From UNLV, one of the more experienced, talented offensive linemen uh, in the transfer portal. So there are some uh, some players who are unattached to maybe a Georgia Tech, maybe a Baylor. Baylor finished 123rd out of 127 in our O-line performance ratings going into last year, Syracuse brought in a a transfer from Florida who uh, was not eligible uh, to play apparently uh, last season. So Christopher Blyke, former, former Florida offensive lineman, uh, we expect he, I think will will be uh, eligible this year, but maybe they're, uh, you know, a team that can go in and, and, pick up a, a lineman or two to help strengthen that unit that finished 126th out of 127. Uh, Michigan State is one and team, sort of in transition who, oddly enough, lost their on paper most talented offensive lineman Devontae Dobbs, uh, one of the highest rated recruits to sign there in, in recent years. Uh, didn't really play much at, at Michigan State, but uh, was a five star guy. Recently entered the transfer portal, went to Memphis. Uh, so, you know, they finished 120th in our O-line performance ratings. So, you know, it makes sense that they might uh, be on the lookout uh, that that staff has, has uh, been, you know, looking at the transfer portal, brought in a corner from Florida just this week, uh, have, have really been sort of, uh, you know, active in, in that way. So I'd expect they might be interested in then Duke finished 118th, their team that we'll talk about uh, tomorrow in our review series finished 100th in our power rankings. Uh, They lost Devery Henderson who was a transfer Mm -hmm. from Stanford who who came in, started at Duke. So, you know, they do have some experience uh, going in, getting a transfer type guy. Duke like Stanford, like Vanderbilt, uh, you know, has higher academic standards like Georgia Tech. Uh, actually, also has higher academic standards than than a lot of programs, so it might be a little bit trickier a little little more difficult to bring in that type of guy. but I can imagine uh duke would would certainly be interested to fill that hole with an experienced player if if uh, the right fit were were out there for sure.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on uh, teams gaining some momentum with uh, these transfers in?
2: yeah, I mean, I think that when you're able to and we talk, we talked about it, we're kind of making joke about it, but you know these are the guys who get the least amount of attention until they mess up. It's just, you know, that's kind of the life uh, of playing, you know, the off- at offensive line. And I think, you know, even some of the people that, you know, Nick didn't name that, I, I like I love the move. I love Tate Jenkins moving from, you know, Texas A&M to Houston. This was a four-star kid who really just never found his footing while he was at A&M. Uh, but maybe, you know, going to a team like Houston that needs offensive line talent in the worst way possible. Could, you know, he he probably, and, and Nick, you could tell me, you know, does he come in as one of the highest rated players already on that offensive line from day one uh you know as a four-star kid out of te- out of uh, Texas or going to Texas A&M and going to Houston
0: yeah I mean he he absolutely is just from a, a pure talent standpoint mm-hmm. I mean he was a 90 uh over a 90 rated player coming out of high school played right guard uh you know listed as a right guard and then Houston is losing Braylon Jones their their best uh offensive lineman who was a right guard. They did have uh, two, uh, really three senior starters uh, on last year's uh, unit. So it's, it's you know, we don't know exactly which of those guys will be back yet. Uh, but I would expect, even though he didn't, you know, really break into the lineup at, at Texas A&M, right. uh, would expect that he's just from a pure talent standpoint, uh, going to be good enough to contribute, you know, Sooner rather than later at Houston, I, I would I would expect. I mean, uh, looking down our depth chart at, at Houston's offensive linemen, you know, their other their next highest rated player uh, was signed uh, the in the 2020 class, uh, Derek Bowman, 85 65 according to the 247 Sports composite. So, uh, you know, right there, I mean, the the addition of of Jenkins, he's half a point more than half a point better on paper, and, and obviously offensive line is, you know, it, it's it's more difficult to uh, evaluate, so there are, uh, you know, maybe I, I don't ascribe to the the, the 247 two, sports rankings as much among offensive line as I do other positions, but, uh, you know, a lot of really smart people there uh, thought that uh, Tank Jenkins was one of the best offensive line recruits uh, you know, one of the one of the best prospects at the high school level in the country, and and uh, so you have to think that if you're Houston, you're excited to be able to work with a guy like that, and and hopefully get him to to
1: live up to that potential. I, yeah. I feel. I, I, go ahead, Xavier. I'm sorry. You oh no,
2: I, I, I was going to say. Lastly, I, I think there's a lot of teams that we can say that are, are, and this is where I think the transfer portal really works. There's a lot of three high three stars, uh, low four star guys who did has not just. It just didn't work going to a big university, and you know you know the name that I also saw on this list that I was looking at, and maybe for a little bit more damning reasons for what he said when he decided to leave Florida, but Chris Bleich, you know he did not play in 2020, but heading to Syracuse, uh, you know, and according to our you know our numbers, Syracuse finished almost dead last in offensive line, an offensive uh, line rating last year, finishing 126 uh, on the list. You know, so you can you can tell us where they finished in
0: PFF. That's
2: fine. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. This is the CFB. <laughs> so no, they finished 126 according to our numbers. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but but that's gonna be what that should be one heck of a gift for them. You know, a guy you know learning and developing at Florida, having an opportunity to play at Syracuse right away, should be a guy who comes in and competes for a starting job right away. So. So, you know, there's a, I feel like there's a lot of – this is where the transfer portal shines. It's not just all about the quarterbacks, like, moving year to year. This is where it really allows lesser teams to pick up talent that just hasn't worked out at bigger universities.
1: To that and, and, point, and, and, and I know we don't have enough information yet to nail this down, Nick, but do you feel like – The transfer portal, I mean, obviously just doing your math, you know, five starters on the offensive line, there's going to be, this is going to be the position that moves the most. Do you think the transfer portal is better for competition right now? Because guys that, you know, are either rotating in and out at Florida can go to Syracuse and start, or do you think it's worse? Because if there's an opening for three spots at Alabama, now even if they have the guys to replace them as far as recruiting ranking goes because they recruit so well, they can just get an experienced starter from a different team now. Do you think it's better, it's worse, or because there's so much movement, it's going to end up evening out as far as the transfer portal goes for the offensive line?
0: Uh, I mean, I I think if I were, uh, you know, if if I'm a coach or if I'm a fan, I'm happy that the transfer portal is an option. Because even Alabama, I mean, one of the guys we already mentioned, Landon Dickerson, transferred from Florida State. So Alabama Mm -hmm. has the best, as far as just, you know, 247 ratings go, offensive line in the country. Uh, They are our number one, uh, or excuse me, before Dickerson was injured, they were number one in our offensive line position. Strength ratings, even with Dickerson out of the lineup, who was a maximum 100 rated player best center in the country, going to be uh, drafted really high, even though, uh, you know, suffered a, a significant injury at the end of the season, they're still third in, in those ratings. So, uh, you know, if a team like that can go and, and add, uh, you know, a, a starter future NFL draft pick to the mix, you know, as a coach, as a, as a fan of that program, if I were, uh, I, I would be happy about that. And, and I think, you know, even Alabama might take a look at, at somebody who's out there to shore up uh, maybe a, a questionable spot or, or depth or, um, you know, just add an experienced player uh, to the room. I, I think that there's definitely some value. We're seeing a few, you know, really experienced uh, FBS and even some FCS uh, offensive linemen who go in and start, you know, 25, 30, 40 games, uh, just uh, take an opportunity maybe to, to uh, you know, take a step up in, in competition. And it might not even be a big one. one, one when we were talking about Houston just a second ago, uh, failed to mention Cody Russi started uh, over 40 games at Louisiana Tech at center. He has since transferred, announced his intention to transfer to Houston. So, uh, you know, that that is a uh, Houston, even though, you know, coming off a couple of uh, fairly disappointing seasons, I would expect is, you know, one of their goals is to compete and win the AAC in uh, 2021. You bring in a, a you know, uh, the center position, of course, quarterback basically of the offensive line, calling out protections, a lot of responsibility. You can bring in a guy with over 40 games of experience uh, into that spot and, you know, count on him to be a day one starter. Uh, I think that only makes your offense better, helps you solidify, uh, that that unit. So uh, I think the, the transfer portal basically across the board is is a good thing. I, I think from uh, player, you know, player rights or whatever you want to call it perspective, I, I like it. I think that it's uh, it's certainly not a magic, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect uh, thing because there are thousands upon thousands of players currently in the transfer portal who don't have, scholarship options, haven't, haven't found a, a new school, uh, but that the opportunity exists for a player to take a step up in competition or uh, to just move to a situation, whether it's closer to home, whether it's uh, more playing time, what have you, uh, I, I think it's a good thing. It can be difficult to, to track everything, it can be difficult to uh, kind of evaluate everything, uh, but I think more often than not, it, it's a, it's a positive thing. And, and, you know, uh, one guy that also I failed to mention might've been just from a, uh, you know, future pro perspective. I mean, a guy that, that I think already has gotten a little NFL draft buzz, Obina Easy from Memphis uh, transferred to TCU. So, you know, uh, good offense, good program there at Memphis, but going to a, a power five program, going to play every week against guys, you know, from, from Texas, from Oklahoma uh, who are, uh, you know, being evaluated for the NFL draft each each and every week. Easy decided, you know, probably I think could have uh, been drafted had he, had he left this year, but said, you know what, going to take this opportunity, go to TCU, small step up in in competition uh, and, you know, Really get to to prove what he can do at a at a slightly higher level might take him from a I'm not an NFL draft guru but you know a third round pick or so if he had left as a junior this year maybe he can you know creep up into that first round conversation uh, after a solid year playing left tackle at TCU and in, in the Big Twelve each week so uh, I think giving guys opportunities like that uh, are are important for them and and you know other guys that just need a chance maybe to, to show what they can do uh, instead of getting stuck behind as as the you know third left tackle in the depth chart at, at uh, Alabama or, or Florida State or wherever move on to another opportunity uh drop down a, a level drop down you know to to a g5 program what have you uh, I think it's a good thing
1: yeah uh, what team Xavier do you think should be going after some of these uh, transfer portal guys right now well, what team could really use a boost? You want me to just read off the list that we have here of, of all the teams <laughs> that in the bottom of that? <laughs> well, what team, I guess, do you think uh, is uh, an offensive lineman or two away from, from being a good contender?
2: I honestly, you know, and this isn't me just going off the bottom list, but I really think that if Michigan State were to have better offensive line play, I feel like last year the Big Ten was wide open for them to at least finish in the middle of the conference, and their offensive line was just so piss poor, along with other things, obviously. But I feel like Michigan State is one of those is one of those teams, especially last year, you know, that I thought, you know, if they weren't so bad on the offensive line, and I feel like if, if Rocky Lombardi or if they had figured out the quarterback situation just a little bit more, that's a team that could have finished, you know, m- m- closer to a bowl eligibility than what they ended up finishing. Uh, you know, that's a team that I really think. It, it, it's weird to see a team, you know, when you look at this bottom list, it's really weird to see a team as as renowned as Michigan state be so poor offensive on the offensive line. You know, we've talked to, you know, they've had great running games in the past. We talked about Le'Veon Bell and company, you know, and so it's weird to see them down here. So I think going forward, they really need to get it together on the O-line. And I think, I, I wouldn't say they're maybe one or two away, but I will say that out of all of the teams that finish out of the bottom, they're the team that can get out of the bottom the fastest, I think, just due to their name and the
1: ability to recruit at a high level. Yeah. And I think of the bottom 10 on the list, the only two that we haven't talked about and are not talking about on tomorrow's show are Michigan State and Baylor. So uh, every other team we've either, you know, they're, they're in the bottom uh, 30 that we've already done, or they're coming up in this show uh, that we're doing tomorrow. So uh, lots of rough teams here. Uh, Nick, let's talk about the guys that are actually leaving and you highlighted from uh, this is a great resource too. Uh, Dane Bruegler's top 100 draft board. And, you know, some of these names are enormous, like Fene Sewell and Rashawn Slater and uh, Darsaw from Vautech, Liam Eikenberg from uh, Notre Dame. Uh, th- there's a lot of guys that are leaving here. So, but when you look at Alabama, and, you know, we know Alabama recruits better than anybody else in the country, they bring in guys from the transfer portal better than anybody in the country. But, They're losing not only three starting offensive linemen, but three starting offensive linemen that are all going to get drafted probably in the top two rounds. So maybe Brown drops a little bit further down into the third or fourth. But, uh, I mean, Dickerson and Leatherwood are probably going round one, round two. So uh, that's a lot to lose, even for Alabama. Uh, Three uh, impact offensive linemen that are going to be drafted very high. Uh, Can... A team even like Alabama recover from something like this, and like you mentioned before, a team like Northwestern moving, uh, you know, losing their best guy, Oregon moving, they uh, losing their best guy, um, and, and even my Longhorns losing Cosby and getting a new starting quarterback and all that good stuff. Uh, these are difficult. This is one of the most difficult positions to um, to replace because not only do you need starting experience, but you need to gel with your other offensive linemen as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think that I think Alabama is going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're they're Alabama understatement
1: of the century for yeah, sure. I right. mean they're
0: yeah. they're uh, I, I I have toyed with the idea kind of trying to to project how our numbers are going to shake out once we get everything updated for 2021. And I I don't know that Alabama is going to be able to hold on to that number one spot in our power rankings. Uh, I I, I think Georgia has a shot. I think Oklahoma has a shot. But you know, it would not shock me if Alabama is still number one. Uh, they, They just have that much recruiting prowess I mean they, they, they've just been that good so even with losing these three guys who are max 100 rated players uh, according to our VGR plus player numbers I think they're they're going to be okay but when I'm, I'm looking at you know a team like Texas A&M they've recruited really well also but they just don't have that track record of being able just to completely reload year after year after year so when they're losing three uh, you know big name guys that that gives me a little bit of cause of concern. So, you know, I know Texas a and in a lot of people's way too early top 10 right now. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I get it, but I'm, I'm just a little bit uh, hesitant looking, looking at this. I, I look at a team like Oklahoma, who I think has legitimate national championship uh, you know, expectations. They're losing Creed Humphrey uh, who was Bruegler's, you know, number one center or, or number two center. I believe uh, they also lost Adrian Elias, starting tackle, but Oklahoma's already uh, picked up two guys with with starting experience at other schools. So they they've been proactive. Go out and, and say, "Hey, we've got these two uh, potential you know weak spots or at least inexperienced spots. Let's go and get the best guys out there." They got Wanya Morris former five-star uh, tackle at, at uh, Tennessee, and then they got uh, Robert Conjol, well, well-traveled, well experienced offensive lineman, started at Texas A&M, went to most recently at Arizona, but has uh, you know a few dozen starts under under his belt. Uh, I, I think that a team like Oklahoma State is going to be hurt. I mean, Tevin Jenkins is a, a potential, you know, is getting some first-round buzz. They also uh, are losing Rice Schneider, uh, and Oklahoma State didn't, you know, didn't uh, grade out as, as well as we might have expected. Uh, they were 61st in our O-line strength rating. So you take a a, a mediocre unit as, as far as the statistics that we look at uh, to, to get to that number, to get to that ranking, and, and they're losing their best guy and another guy, uh, plus, you know, uh, all the, the offensive playmakers they're, they're losing as well, that's going to hurt. Uh, Ohio State is losing two really highly, you know, regarded offensive linemen. They're in that Alabama boat where, uh, not only have they recruited at an elite level on the offensive line, but they have in the past gone and into the transfer portal to, to plug a hole, brought in uh, a guy from Rutgers a couple of years ago, plugged him in and, and helped solidify the offensive line. Uh, so you know, those are the names that I, I think they're. Uh, I think Ohio State's going to be fine. I think Alabama's going to be fine. Keep an eye on Texas A&M. Keep an eye on uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, and, and maybe also keep an eye on, uh, you know, a, a team like Wisconsin, a team like Pitt, uh, a team like West Virginia. All those, those teams are, are kind of, I think, on the cusp of being a top 25 type program. Uh, but are both are are all losing multiple starters on the offensive line. So those are programs where uh, you could think, you know, maybe maybe getting an extra name and and solidifying that group, bringing in some depth, bringing in some experience might be might be something to to consider here in the in the next several months.
1: I mean, Xavier, I would be heartbroken if Oklahoma State and Texas A and M. Weren't very good this year. That would break my heart, of course. Yeah, okay. I'm saying uh, they won't be good. Just that the, yeah, dog, the I know, offensive line I might know. be a little. It, 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 I would be heartbroken if their offensive line was shaky. Right. Yeah. Uh, that. That's. That's what I meant to say too. So, uh, your thoughts on uh, you know, obviously, a lot of holes being punched in uh, to uh, some offensive linemen, uh, some offensive lines because of the NFL draft. But such as you know, this is a circle of life for college football.
2: Yeah, and you know, Nick, I'm so I'm sorry if you didn't name this team, you know, but I think Ohio State's going to struggle next year. We we saw them fight uh, uh, on the offensive line, on the offensive line. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. sorry, sorry, sorry. Maybe yeah, I was be specific when you are I was muted, today. but I made a face. I saw yeah. your face, <laughs> and that's what made me re- re- preface my statement again. Uh, you know. But, yeah, so I think Ohio State is another one of those teams that's going to have to replace a lot of talent on that offensive line, especially with a team that I think we saw have struggles at the beginning of the year. You know, we really – in those first, like, three weeks, we were wondering why they couldn't run the ball effectively. They kind of struggled uh, against Indiana doing it in the first half. And it wasn't until, like, the latter part of the year that they kind of hit their form. And I don't know if that was due to youth or, you know, maybe rust or something of that nature. But if it was due to youth, it doesn't help that you're also losing Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis going into next year. You know, so that's another team that I look at that I go "Mm." as a team that could possibly contend for a national championship. This is a team I need to look out for, especially early on in the year as you know, this might be a team that, you know, struggles, you know, maybe they find their footing. Maybe they hit the ground running this year. Maybe they don't, and it takes them a while again, but I don't think that with a, a complete offseason like they, like they didn't have last year, they can have games where they were so poor sometimes running the ball in between the tackles. So that's one of those teams that I look, for, look at. Obviously, Notre Dame losing two offensive linemen is never going to be easy. Oh, excuse me, four offensive linemen. I, you know, I, I think, oh yeah, Jesus. Uh, but, you know, that, that's not easy. Four offensive linemen gone and your quarterback that was a three-year starter. I, I just, that's going to be a really tough situation offensively for Notre Dame going into next year uh, and i that really makes me hesitant to call anything for Notre Dame going into next year as far as win totals we won't get to them at any point in the next like 2 or 3 weeks on our on tomorrow's episode uh but that that that's that gives me cause for concern when it comes to a team like Notre Dame contending for a national championship next year
1: uh, what about uh, any uh, G five teams that are improving on the offensive line, or or that we have to worry about? Uh, either way, Nick, can you give us a, like a quick rundown of the G five O lines to watch?
0: Yeah, I mean, there there are some you know relative powers at the G five level who have significant losses on the offensive line. Appalachian State uh, ranked fourth in our. Uh, position strength ratings—that's that's our talent number. So they they've been able to put together enough production points on the offensive line, enough you know all conference honors and, and things like that, that they actually ended up rating fourth from a talent standpoint in our uh, final ratings and, and finished in the top ten in offensive line performance ratings. Well, they're losing two guys, Ryan Newsel and Noah Hannon, uh, early to the NFL draft, or at least uh, guys who had eligibility if if they chose. Uh, to use it, Cincinnati is is a lot of you know people's early pick to hey if a G5 team can make the playoff, Cincinnati. Well, they're losing two offensive linemen, one of which is in uh, that top 100 uh, draft board we mentioned, James Hudson, the left tackle who uh, transferred from Michigan. They also lose Darius Harper. Uh, Air Force is losing two of the best offensive linemen at, at the G5 level. Uh, you, you know Army, I think is is going to lose three senior starters. Uh, assuming, like we mentioned last week uh, when we were talking about uh, Navy in our review series, that all the, the service academy uh, guys are, are not going to do the extra year of eligibility. That's not maybe going to be offered to them. I'm, I'm operating under that assumption. On that point, Navy is, is losing its best offensive lineman in Peter Nestoritz. Uh, but, you know, uh, also uh, BYU, I mean, a non-Power 5 conference team, uh, took a huge, huge step forward with with Zach Wilson this year, and, and everybody's all abuzz buzz about him being, you know, a, a first round pick and a high, high first round pick coming up. But they're losing three uh, important pieces of that offensive line: Braden Christensen, uh, Shannon Herring, and, and Tristan Hogue or Hodge have, have all uh, said that they're moving on, leaving BYU. Uh, BYU finished sixth in our offensive line performance ratings last year. And, and when all those guys were healthy, we uh, were a, a top 10, top 15 type unit from a pure talent standpoint. So BYU is going to be at the, the wrong end of a lot of, uh, you know, returning production numbers and the offensive line is going to be a, a big part of that App state, you know, maybe, maybe the Sunbelt is, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they're potentially going to uh, lose a little bit of their grip. Uh, on, on the Sunbelt in, in that top tier. Obviously didn't win the championship this past year, but uh, offensive line has been such a, a rock for that program and, and to lose two big names. Uh, and, you know, there, there are some other misses as well. We had uh, one that just sort of jumped out to me uh, at UCF, kind of ending, I guess, where we started. Uh, Parker Boudreaux, who was an all-conference, all-ACC, or excuse me, all-AAC offensive lineman, uh, left school early. To go pro in WWE. <laughs> so, so, okay, I, I love <laughs> it. I, I, I love it. So hey, you true. know what you want to do? You have a, a, an opportunity. Apparently, he's already signed to a, a a contract. He's he's on his way to becoming a professional wrestler. Think Guy, your
1: CPE risk is exactly the same. Yes, you, know?
0: you know. So, but it, it's <laughs> interesting to note. I mean, there are a couple of guys who were starters. Uh, Southern misses starting center. Uh, retired, early he is not pursuing uh, you know f- a football career professionally. But these are the things that I, I try to to keep uh, keep tabs on. But one that was particularly interesting: we're losing a, a pretty talented offensive lineman to uh, professional wrestling. So kind of interesting stuff.
1: I, I mean, it, it's not that surprising. Goldberg uh, was a, a a pro, right? Golden There's Rain, uh, Georgia, yeah. Yep, Play, the Rock played at Miami. I mean, Brock Lesnar. Oh, I've yeah. heard of him. <laughs> Brock Lesnar was a, a wrestler. That's you like, know yeah. more more than anybody. but he went to the NFL. So, yes. uh, you know, uh, there's plenty. even basketball. Enos Cantor like went and took classes with Diamond Dallas Page uh, a couple years ago. He wants to be a, a professional wrestler when he's done playing basketball. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys make a, a lot of money. You know, so. Uh, not not that surprising, and a uh, lot of attention. And you know, they're, they're all just male soap operas, uh, uh, like <laughs> wrestling is. So, uh, Xavier, your thoughts on some of these G five uh, offensive line uh, losses and you know gains?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, a team that I think we really really surprised me last year. and I was able to watch them in person as well, but they were just one of the more surprising offensive line lines as of last year. Was Troy? This was a team that came into the year that, as far as you know. <laughs> I always regard Troy's offensive line was rather young and I did not expect them to play as well as they did, but this is a team, you know, that I I would be concerned. And, and Nick, you can tell me, and I'm not a hundred percent sure if he's declared for the draft, but you know, their starting center from last year, Dylan Bradshaw was a senior, you know, he had the most experience of anybody on that offensive line. And if if he's going to leave, this was an offensive line that played extremely better than what they were supposed to last year coming into the year. If we just look at it from the pure number standpoint, you know, they were one of the best, you know, they were one of the top three offensive lines in, you know, top three, top four offensive lines in the entire conference. And this was a Troy team that, I I don't I don't think for many people who watch college football would think that they were a great ball clip, but the offensive line was just something that you look at and it's like, wow, they're playing extremely well. So I'm not hundred percent sure if he is leaving, but I did, I it did show that he was a senior. So I'm you know, if he does end up declaring for the draft, that is a massive loss for an offensive line that took major steps last year.
0: Uh yeah, I'm I'm trying to look. I didn't have him noted. I I I haven't seen anything. Official, uh, one way or the other, or, or any reports out of Troy just yet. So, I, as of right now, I'll assume that he's coming back, but yeah. uh, he's the only senior really mm-hmm. who who uh, I think saw significant playing time. So, uh, Troy finished in the top 40 in our offensive line rankings last year, as, as far as our uh performance ratings, and and yeah, there that's an experienced team just in general, they they brought back just about every player who played a snap on defense and, and a lot of, a lot of guys coming back on offense as well, including three of their four senior starter uh, receivers. So Troy's going to be an interesting team to talk about here in a, in a few weeks.
1: And that's uh, you know, that's an underrated point of offensive line too, is sometimes it's just uh, you know, experience together uh, as Mm -hmm. far as getting your reps and uh, being in those situations, you know, it's why they call it the trenches, uh, you know, being in those situations together and knowing how uh, your fellow lineman is going to react and stuff, which makes uh, part, and, you know, Xavier's brought up this point when you're uh, when your team is bad and you're not returning a bunch of stars. Most of the time, that's good. You know, uh, y- even if they're inexperienced, they got to be better than what you just had or, or you know, it, the same. You know what I mean? So uh, th- that's another big part of offensive linemen is these guys take uh, enormous steps up. Uh, as far as experience and playing time goes when they just get those reps. And that was another thing that we just, you know, no, barely any spring practices at all. Uh, very few practice reps and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, that's why we saw who we talked about Navy last week, getting absolutely smashed by BYU to, uh, start the season because they went with non-contact practices. So, uh, that, that's, um, a big factor that's going to be adding in this year too, when we get hopefully back to padded practices and all that stuff.
0: Right. And, and on that note, uh, I mean, the offensive line, I don't have the numbers specifically to, to back this up, but my feeling is that the uh, the offensive line coaching matters most of any position mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. there and development is a bigger deal uh, is a, is a more important point on the offensive line than just about anywhere else. It's, eventually we will uh, be expanding our, our coach ratings. We've got, uh, like we said, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then of course, head coach ratings. the next the next one I want to do is offensive line because I think uh, offensive line and defensive line similarly, but offensive line uh, more so. Coaching is just the the that's where I think we see the biggest impact of of just coaching technique uh, and, and the ability to actually, uh, develop guys is, is a bigger deal, I think on the offensive line. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I absolutely agree with you, Scott, that, that experience together as a unit, I think was more important in 2020 than it had ever been. And it's a pretty, pretty big deal. I think most of the time, uh, talent matters most, I think everywhere, offensive line, uh, I think that's still true, but maybe to a slightly lesser degree, but I think that just continuity, coaching staff uh, unit as a whole uh, is just the, the most important on the offensive line compared to any other position out there.
2: Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Did, did we cover it all for the offensive line next?
0: I think so. I, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll I'm sure touch on it uh, more if, if any big names uh, decide to to go elsewhere. But uh, when I put the, the list out to our patrons, I will include, uh, our list, we've we've been referencing top 10 of, uh, offensive line performance ratings uh, and then uh, the top performances by conference. I also put that together. And then the bottom 10 give you sort of a, a peek at a lot of those teams we mentioned might be in the uh, really looking for uh, transfer portal entry or, you know, looking to, to pick a couple of guys out of there. Um, I'll uh, put that uh, on patreon.com for, for our uh, supporters there uh, to, to see what it is that we've been referencing throughout the show.
2: To, to kind of get to a point that you guys just said, I, I think this is a perfect example of what Nick just said about coaching at the offensive line level is probably the most important. Arkansas finished almost dead last in 2019 in rushing in the SEC finishing third to last in the sec. They get Sam Pittman in who we've all know is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country has been for a very long time. They finished middle of the pack. They went from, this is 11th to seventh in, or in sixth, excuse me, in in rushing from a year without Sam Pittman to the first year of Sam Pittman.
1: Just to kind of give an idea of how big coaching came. That's the same running back. That was team Boyd both years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so you. But can Boyd tell. was
0: Boyd was out for a bit yeah. this year too, so even, yeah. even he was limited and and sometimes not available, and they got better.
1: Right, right, exactly. So yeah, I mean it's a great point to make, Xavier, and to to end us on here. But uh, make sure you're paying attention for tomorrow's show because we got some very very interesting teams coming up: Duke, Colorado State, uh, you know uh, Nick's favorite ACC team, Georgia Tech, uh, who is going to be not far away from contending with Clemson. Right. So uh, <laughs> no, sorry.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. That was a bit of an off the cuff.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, I it was a way as, down the road. Well,
0: I didn't say it quite as well as I should have.
1: <laughs> and it was also a way in the future comment, not for anytime <laughs> soon, but uh, some good teams coming up in this show. So that one is going to be a uh, great. And uh, Nick uh, put this on the sheet too. All of the the coaches have been hired uh, for FBS. All the head coaches have been in, and we can get to a head coach draft again, which is what we should be doing in March, right? We shouldn't give ourselves till June or July to do that, but it's something that Nick wants to do uh, in the near future. So we'll be doing our our head coaching draft. And remember how that works is it's uh, points based on uh, just teams improving their record from uh, this year to from 2020 to 2021. Don't know how we're actually going to do that uh, because so many teams played uh, a weird amount of games yeah, and all that good stuff. I think we'll so. have to
0: do winning percentage this year. Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick will figure it out for I us. I got it. So, I got it. Yeah.
0: And yeah. hey, why wait till March next week? That's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: get, your, get your get your draft board. Yeah. To
2: That's right. <laughs> I'm I <was> <laughs> uh, perfectly
1: here to keep my crown. Uh huh, <laughs> right. So, uh, w- winner has to buy himself a crown, by the way. We're not providing that. <laughs> here, so you, you, you can buy it yourself, but uh, follow us all on Twitter if you would uh, at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish for Xavier. And we will see you guys tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.